time for us to bring in our guests and uh, for us to welcome to Money Talk this morning, Enzio von Feil, Capital Preservation Specialist at uh, Financial Shield. Uh, good morning, Enzio. Good morning, James. Uh, nice to have you on the show. And let's also say good morning to John Marat, who's Senior Analyst uh, Asia at the Economist Intelligent Unit. Good morning, John. Good morning, James. Uh, nice to have you uh, both on the show. Obviously, uh, Chief Executive John Lee uh, giving his uh, policy address yesterday. Uh, John, let's uh, start with that. Um, with those uh, easing of property curves, what, what do you think that means for the economy here in Hong Kong? I think it's going to be a minor boost for the property sector in the short term. Uh, I don't expect too much from it. Um, it, it will um, excite a few potential buyers, but there are other fundamental factors that continue to undermine the property market here. Um, so don't expect too much from it. Um, I was expecting perhaps slightly more in terms of a structural shift uh, away from Hong Kong's dependence on property. And when I say dependence, I mean both the governments and the economy overall. Um, so I, I didn't see that in, in the policy address. But um, there is an underlying current uh, in terms of developments in uh, property and real estate policy that we've seen over the last few years, which suggests we are going to move away um, from this overwhelming and in the long term toxic dependence on property in, in Hong Kong. Um, so no big surprises from this policy address and no game changes, I would say. Is Hong it- Kong still... Hong Kong still has a lot of work to do in that area. Is it realistic, though, that uh, Hong Kong ever moves away from uh, a dependence on uh, property, property revenues? Yes, it is. And I, I think the, the clearest statistic or clearest um, aspect to point to really is, is the abundance of land in Hong Kong. There's frequent reference to a lack of land, but there is huge amounts of land outside of Hong Kong Island. Um, notwithstanding that which hasn't been developed yet, there's still a lot that is earmarked for development that hasn't been developed yet. And I think a key uh, point to watch in the coming years will be whether the government is prepared to move quickly away from this, thinking that their finances must depend on revenues from land sales, uh, which they do not necessarily have to, even to run a modest surplus in line with the uh, Mm. basic law. Um, Endia, would you agree with that? Uh, is there always going to be a dependence on uh, on property, or could the government uh, move away from uh, those revenues? Well, of course they can. They can move away from it. I mean, you're you're the master of your own thoughts, and so I'd like to just my little bit is is to quote two sources. One is Shakespeare. This was much ado about nothing. And the other is the South China Morning Post. On equal footing, of course, we need more short-term stimuli for the sluggish economy. To be get to get going again, basically. So I think that what they could do, and what I would certainly welcome as an ex educator professor, is that they increase the improve the education massively. The, the standard of English is appalling, and really vigorously push vocational training. I mean, car ownership in Hong Kong is rising, but the number of repairments for cars is falling. So. There you have a, a, an immediate market. I'm not going to say that Hong Kong economy hinges on car repairment, of course, but I do think that we need to push less dependence on property, more dependence on the productivity of the labour force, because that's ultimately that, and the growth of the labour force defines the overall growth rate of any economy.
Always good to put uh, Shakespeare and the South China Morning Post on an equal footing, yeah. NCO. Uh, what about this, um, you know, the, the birth rate policies, you know, to increase the birth rates, uh, give everybody 20,000 uh, Hong Kong dollars. You know, would that have some impact uh, in the long term? Well, yes, maybe on bank deposits, but um, <laughs> I don't think really on birth rates. I'm sorry, James, to be so facetious. I really just think that we, we're seeing a worldwide phenomenon of what I call oil and water. Oil is the government and water are the, the people, the plebeians, all of us folk who have to do what the government says. And whether it's in the U.S., in Europe, in the EU, in Hong Kong, what we see is that the government is so out of touch with the people that it's doing its own thing. Here we have a standard example $20,000, I hardly think that a mother is going to think about $20,000 when she wants to have a child. I just don't think that's how the Sex Ed 101 works. John, is, is the government out of touch? Um, you know, what do you think about the, uh, the, this um, policy to boost, boost the birth rate? I wouldn't necessarily say they're out of touch. I don't want to make that judgment. But I would say, yes, this policy is a drop in the ocean. It's going to do very little at all. This money, even even for those at the lower end of the income scale, is not very much at all in the grand scheme of things over the average year's life of a child cared for by their parents. I mean, take your pick in terms of the disincentives to having children, you know, an excess work culture, that small average housing size and very short parental leave by standards of uh, other high income economies. I mean, these are all major, major problems and some of them are more difficult to solve. Some of them are, you know, sociologically grounded in the culture of Hong Kong, but others uh, such as housing, there is a potential way out and others still there's an even quicker way out with uh, increasing um, average parental leave. That is mandatory parental leave for mothers especially, but also fathers. Um, which would perhaps encourage people to take on uh, or rather have children and, and keep their, their working lives. Also a mention for this uh, breast milk uh, bank idea uh, there from uh, John Lee. Uh, that seems um, slightly odd one to mention in the policy address, but uh, thoughts there? I'm not sure where that one came from. Yes, um, I, I think the most important thing there, if you want to increase um, the, the average duration for which children are, are breastfed um, by their mothers, then you would first look at parental leave, maternity leave, again. Mm. And uh, it's worth saying that there aren't many places, any um, breastfeeding suites around the city that are available for public use. I mean, a very small number. So that doesn't encourage people either. So it's no surprise that uh, the government is concerned uh, that mothers are not breastfeeding their children enough. Um, but there are lots of ways to tackle that. And the breastfeeding bank, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit puzzled on that, mm, to be honest. Mm. NCO, you know, in terms of the other things that were in mm. there, um, you know, uh, uh, luring talent, of course, is one of the things that uh, uh, John Lee mentioned. Also, um, reducing the stamp duty on stock trading from 0.13% to 0.1%. Uh, thoughts on those policies? Let me just preface that a camel is a horse designed by committee. What I mean by that is that after 40 consultations, this is what he has come up with. And I think it's well-intentioned, but I miss the prioritization. I miss the prioritization of productivity and things of this nature. So to say that he's going to reduce the stock trading fees a little bit, well, 
the stock market's been a bit of a dog for some years now, so I don't think that a reduction in trading fees is actually going to help growth in the stock in the economy. Would we all, of course, know that we're the water skier off the back of the Chinese speedboat, so our growth is very linked to China's. We know all that, but I still think we could be doing a lot more domestically to enhance productivity. John, is that something you agree with, more that we could do to enhance productivity? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think uh, a part of that comes back to uh, the housing market again. It is, it is a big, almost parasitic drain on the economy in the long term that, that sucks capital out of productive uses, productive investments and into speculation. So that, that's one area that they do need to work on. And uh, as Enya said, uh, also education as well, uh, improving uh, average public education is, is vital to engage the, the local population in more high productive jobs. Well, a reminder that John Lee will be uh, um, under scrutiny tomorrow uh, in this slot between 8 and 9. Uh, Janice and Jim will be here uh, putting the questions to him. So if you uh, are interested more, uh, listen in tomorrow morning between 8 and 9. Uh, Enzio, just turning to other topics just very quickly before we leave you both. Um, there's been a lot of turbulence in the bond, uh, turbulence in the bond market of recent. Uh, it's touched uh, 5%, that 10-year Treasury note. Well, what do you make of all of this? What's going on in the bond market? I think what's going on is that the markets are very angry at themselves for having got the interest rate forecast so wrongly for so long. Remember when the, the, the back in March of 22, well, of course, who's going to remember that? But I mean, when they began raising the Fed funds rates, it was going to be short and sweet. Well, now it's at 5%. And what Hugh, Hugh Pill of the Bank of England aptly called the, the Cape Town, the, the Table Mountain effect, which is that I believe, and the markets are finally accepting this, that um, the interest rates are going to stay high and stuck for uh, stuck, stay stuck high for a long time because there's a lot of supply side structural inflation going on. So my view is that the markets are angry at themselves for having gotten it wrong. They're now a little bit running around trying to figure out what to do. You've got an issuance of supply coming in. In other words, more and more bonds have to be issued because this U.S. budget deficit is now $2 trillion, apparently of which half is used to service the interest rate, by the way, mm. the rates. So it's all a bit of a mess, and that's what I think the market is reflecting. Could we be heading for some kind of market crash, would you say? I think that we could well be doing that because we have a confluence of two sets of ocean currents. One is the change in economic time, my economic clock yet again to the fore, which is that we're having a contraction in money supply. John Greenwood pointed this out recently in the Wall Street Journal. So less money around for asset purchases. And then coupled with more and more bubble and speculation, bubble and squeak in the unregulated shadow banks. Remember that the regulators have been so busy regulating banks that they've shoved all the unregulated business into, into shadow banks, whether it's in the U.S. or in China or anywhere else. Hmm. And that's so I think those two things, the change in economic time and this unregulated shadow banking cowboy scenario that we are beginning to see, those are going to hit us at some point badly. Don't ask me something silly like when is this going to happen because <laughs> chaos is divided. We won't. Because 
abyss, and nobody can tell you when it's going to happen. We won't ask you when that will happen, Sorry. but we will keep an eye on it. Uh, Enzio von Feil is Capital Preservation Specialist at uh, Financial Shield. Thank you, Enzio. And also thanks to John Marrett, a Senior Analyst uh, Asia at the Economist Intelligence Unit.